0: I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row.
1: Woo-hoo.
0: Hello. Hey,
2: ladies. Heidi Ho. Heidi Ho. Um, we have a fun episode for you this week, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Girls, gays, days. Um, we are doing celebrities. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Um, and I think it's kind of funny because, and we just said this, um, I have a story of someone who seems very sweet and, um, nice. And then I don't know what Lori's doing. That's a total <laughs> surprise. And then Hannah is going to finish us off with just pure chaos. Gutter um, trash. Yeah. Yes. If you don't like bad language, look a out. Skip mine. And that's yes. nice. That's
1: fine. I, I will not judge you, but it is a very good story and it's punk history. So it's going to be, a
2: I will fun. say, yeah. I, I did not know about your, your person until later in life. And then when I listened to something about him, I'm like, you, what, what, what? It's, it's yes. an unbelievable story. <laughs> it's so. a whole
1: lot of, I'm sorry, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, do we have any news or anything um, to discuss? No. I don't think I have anything.
0: Think I have no news either. from my end. Next Nobody. week's going to be fun,
1: yes.
0: We're, yes, we're changing it up a little bit. We're going to do supernatural grab bags. So, yeah. uh,
1: because Hannah has a work thing and is going to be really tired, yes, <laughs> yes,
0: yes.
2: So, yeah, next week's going to be fun. We're just going to talk about some ghosts and fun, spooky stuff, which is my favorite topic in the world. So, absolutely.
1: yes, absolutely. I might investigate the um, forbidden closet down the hall from my apartment. I'm here Ooh. for it.
2: Yes. Um, take some EVPs and oh, come will. back and apps. play them. And we'll, we'll pretend we know what they're saying.
0: Exactly. Ooh.
1: I will make up a whole ass thing. Or it'll be like the Candyman and I'll get sucked through the mirror. We'll see.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm let's not it. do that.
2: <laughs> All right. Sheena. Me. Yes, I'm starting us it. off. Yes. All right. So my celebrity is um, someone who is no longer a well-known name, but she was a pioneer soprano and she was famous in her day. I wanted to focus on her because we don't have a lot of famous people from my hometown of Pontotoc, Mississippi, but this lady is from there and we're proud to claim her. I will say really quickly, the only other like quote unquote famous person that we have from Pontotoc is Jim Weatherly. Um, He wrote Midnight Train to Georgia and The Best Thing That Ever Happened to Me, like a lot of songs that Gladys Knight covered. Um, He had a music career all on his own. He passed away late last year or early this year. I can't remember, but I don't know where he's buried. So (laughs) we make it to him later because he did have a cool life. He went to Ole Miss. So hotty toddy. But... um, This is our first big celebrity from Pontotoc, I adore her, so picture it, Pontotoc, Mississippi. (laughs) February 20th, 1908, Ruby, no, close, no, not quite, Uh, Ruby Pearl Elsie is born, Uh, her parents are Charlie and Emma Elsie, she is one of four children. And she wrote in an article about um, it was called the article was called The Spirit of Spirituals. And she said, They tell me that I sang in church when I was a child of four. Singing was as much a part of our life as breathing. Um, So, yeah, I thought that was a pretty quote. So, Ruby's mother, Emma, was a school teacher and she insisted that Ruby and her siblings be well educated. So, Ruby and and her siblings, they all went to, um, to, they all went through, you know, the usual schooling. And then Ruby went to Russ college. And that is a historically black college here in Mississippi. It still exists, obviously um, it's in Holly Springs. Mm-hmm. She studied music there. And while she was there, a white professor, Dr. C.C. McCracken was visiting Russ college from Ohio state. And he was so impressed by Ruby and her voice. And he really became like a mentor and and almost a father figure for her because her dad left when she was really young. And he really believed in her and supported her as much as he could. So he helped her secure some financial aid so she could attend Ohio State University. Um, And of course, Ohio State is not a historically black college. So she's in college with all of these white kids who are at first racist. Are we shocked by that?
1: imagine imagine
2: um but then they heard her voice and they actually apologized to her and they said they'd be honored to sit by someone who had her voice which i'm like too little too late but okay
1: and also notably we are not giving you the ohio state your ohio state deal with it is there a (laughs) difference yes you i don't know they really want you to say the ohio state like i didn't know that was a thing it is midwesterners are weird Eh, you.
2: whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally about to mention it one other time and then I'm done. So if their <laughs> panties are in a wad, they can just unwad them about. <laughs> um, so she graduated from Ohio state in 1930 at the top of her class in the music department. Oh. And Dr. McCracken worked again to help her get some more financial aid and support her. So she could go to the Juilliard school And it was there that she earned two degrees, two graduate degrees in music. And there at Juilliard, she sang in a choir directed by J. Rosamond Johnson, who was the co-author of the Black National Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. So I'm telling you sort of this part to explain how she gets, how she got to where, um, where, how her career took off, because it was sort of a cool, like, she knows somebody who knows somebody and like people kept saying oh my god you've got to hear this woman and and all this so it's really cool either way so we continue in 1933 uh, the choir sang in the film, The Emperor Jones, um, with Ruby starring as Dolly alongside Paul Robeson. Now, the screenplay for The Emperor Jones was written by Du Bois Hayward, and his novel and play called Porgy would soon be turned into what is considered one of the most important and influential American folk operas, Porgy and Bess. So Porgy and Bess, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the, the musical and um, who was behind it and that sort of thing just briefly because you may (laughs) it breaks my heart I think we may have babies listening to this and they may have never heard of Porgy and Bess or they may not know some of the music
0: or or Dorothy Dandridge because that's how I was uh Halle Berry portrayed her in a movie and that's how I learned about that film right so Porgy
1: and Bess was like so important to black cinema yes well i mean this
2: is this is the book which was then the musical so we're starting with the musical back in the 30s so yeah so porgy and best tells the story of a disabled black street beggar living in the slums of charleston um the musical deals with domestic violence and drug abuse and a lot of heavy um you know crime and things like that just a lot of heavy topics the opera was penned by the legendary composer george gershwin And he wrote, oh, my God, everything. (laughs) I hope you know at least some of his music. I love Gershwin. He wrote um, not just orchestral compositions, but also, obviously, operas, jazz songs. Um, You may have heard the song, I Got Rhythm, which I think everyone knows. I hope you do. You may have heard Rhapsody in Blue and then I'm pretty sure everyone has heard Summertime from Porgy and Bess that has been covered it's really become a standard and it's been covered by literally everyone since day one practically Billy Holiday Janis Joplin Sonny and Cher the Zombies Sam Cooke Fantasia Al Green like everyone loves Summertime and everyone covers it I feel like it's a great song but it was not Ruby's song we'll get to that in a second so um by doing the emperor jones which as i said was um written by the screenplay was written by du bois hayward he was then working um with george gershwin and he was like hey you got you need to hear uh, ruby Elsie." so george gershwin hears ruby and is just amazed by her And he handpicks her to create the role of Serena, the second female lead in Porgy and Bess. And this is the role that launches her to stardom. Um, Critics raved about her performance from day one. Her signature song was My Man's Gone Now, which her character sings after her husband Robin is murdered in a crap game. And it's estimated that over the course of her career between performing on Broadway, touring with the musical, and then just special performances here and there that she sang, my man's gone now over 800 times. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One really interesting performance. Um, She sang the song at George Gershwin's Memorial concert at the Hollywood bowl. He died suddenly of a brain tumor in 1937. Um, just a couple of years after the play was produced or the musical was produced. And um, there there's a recording of this concert because they, they recorded it, they broadcast it worldwide. So everyone heard it. Um, and you can still find like, obviously not video, but like you can hear the recordings anywhere online, which is really cool. I just love that she was performing at the Hollywood Bowl because that is such an iconic venue. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then later in 1937... Uh, Ruby was invited by First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt to perform at the White House. Uh, she performed know. there. Yeah, she performed there in December for a luncheon of the wives of the US Supreme Court justices, <laughs> which oh, is boy. kind of cute, like, oh, yeah. the wives. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, So Ruby's career just continues to take off. She is performing on Broadway, but she also does some other musicals. Um, She was on some radio shows. She had a part-time role on NBC's radio show, The Melody Master, which I like to think was maybe like um, Shazam. I bet it's not, but like, I love to play Shazam, (laughs) the name that tune show too. Anyway, um, she also had a small role in the Bing Crosby movie birth of the blues from 1941 and what i love is that in the winter of 1940 1941 like that sort of november through i don't know january february i don't remember the exact dates she returned home to mississippi that winter to perform in pontotoc in corinth which is like the northeast side of the state um that's where her mother was living at the time and at rest college and tickets to her Ponotalk shows were either 35 cents or 25 cents. And at first I'm like, oh, that's cute. That's money of the times. That sounds right. Like I'm sure most concert tickets or performance tickets were 35 cents, but then I did the inflation and that's either $6 and 68 cents or basically $5 in today's so money. Cover. Oh gosh. basically right. You
1: basically, had you basically
2: paid. paid cover and I'm like, that's some Damn. BS. Anyway. Um, Back in my days as a reporter, I did a story on Ruby um, in 2008 for what would have been her 100th birthday, and I interviewed a woman from Pontotoc who remembers seeing her performance at the Pontotoc High School Auditorium, and before she left, uh, Ruby signed a program for the Pontotoc Music Study Club that read in part, no matter how far we go or how much recognition we may get, One never forgets her hometown and the dear folks who were kind to her when she needed kindness most. And while she was in town, the local paper uh, interviewed her and she said her amazing career could all be summed up in the title of one of the spirituals she loved to sing. Um, And the title of that song was The Lord Done Laid His Hands on Me. Um, And I also love her, too, because she used her platform, her celebrity, to speak out against racism. Um, In 1942, the world, basically everywhere, (laughs) was involved in World War II, and she gave an interview to the Christian advocate, and she said, this is her quote from 1942. I believe prejudice is based altogether on misunderstanding and fear, and I pray that the day will come when my race will find a way to let it be known that what they want is not the sort of thing white people fear in the new world for which we are fighting, Negroes ask only to be considered as men and women with the right to work out their own salvation with, as Mr. Lincoln put it, malice toward none with liberty and justice for all. Wow. yeah, pretty
0: powerful stuff. Yeah.
2: Um, I will mention her personal life very briefly because it doesn't really, it didn't fit in with the narrative flow elsewhere. So I'm going to kind of throw it in here before we get to a little sadness um oh boy yeah sorry um Ruby didn't have any children um but she was married twice first to a reporter that marriage lasted about five years and then her second marriage lasted for about three years until her death so in 1943 just a year after she gave that interview um she was still riding a wave of success she was literally like performing more in Porgy and Bess, and she was getting ready for her next major role, which I will mention in a second. But in June of that year, uh, she entered a Detroit hospital to have a benign tumor removed, and no one is really sure what happened after that surgery, but of course, everyone knows Black folks, Black women didn't always get the best medical care. They were probably ignored um when they said they were in pain and things like that either way no one knows exactly what happened but she died on June 26 1943 she was just 35 oh man oh, yeah um she was just one week after her final performance as Serena in Porgy and Bess and she had literally just achieved her greatest dream she had been cast in as the title role of Verdi's Aida yeah. I think Think maybe she had just been cast. I'm not sure they've even started um, rehearsals yet. But that was like her big dream. She loved that show and she wanted to be the star role, and she was. And then she passed away. Oh, wow. um, but to speak to her celebrity, I thought this was interesting. Um, the Entertainment Magazine Variety, which I think we're all pretty familiar with, her obituary was the lead obituary for a solid week in Variety. Wow. So.
1: That's that's
2: a big one yeah and you know I I just think it's amazing that this you know poor kid from Pontotoc did all this amazing stuff and basically a decade I mean her career kind of lasted like she graduated from uh Juilliard in 34 and passed away in 43 wow and I mean she she did a couple things before she graduated but you know it's basically a decade-long career So Ruby is buried in the historic Pontotoc City Cemetery and to tell you a little bit about that like the main cemetery is what they call the quote unquote old section no one is buried there anymore but um, it's where a lot of like the founding people who founded Pontotoc are buried a lot of the major movers and shakers important rich white folk, you know, basically. They're there. There is a newer section just to the north, and they still have burials taking place there. Um, my aunt's buried there. Um, but either way, Ruby is in the newer part. I mean, no, I'm sorry, Ruby is in the older part. Um, she's pretty easy to find. She her her monument's not huge, but it's not really small. It's not like a plain um, you know, garden one. It's it stands up a little. Um, but her monument is lovely. It's A pretty bright white and her epitaph reads who's ready to cry with me now Uh, it it reads now singing in the celestial choir which i just think is so lovely yes so so they've put up another like a bronze plaque sort of at her feet too that has like an image of her and it tells a little bit about her life And then North College Street in Pontotoc, which is where the church that she attended as a child um, was located, was renamed Ruby LZ Drive in 2017. And um, in 2000, Ruby was named as one of the charter inductees to the Mississippi Music Hall of Fame alongside Elvis Presley, B.B. King, and Tammy Wynette. And then I'm going to mention this very briefly because I thought this was noteworthy. Ruby wasn't the only success story out of her family. Her sister, Amanda, who passed in 2004, was a prominent educator. Again, as I said, her mother was a big educator. So she really encouraged her kids to get educated. Um, And her sister, Amanda, has a school in Greenwood, Mississippi named after her, the Amanda Elsie High School. And then Ruby's mother, Emma, who, as I said, was a school teacher. She was very involved in the Methodist Church and the Mississippi Conference for the United Methodist Church presents an annual Emma K. Elsey Award. And if you want to listen to Ruby's music, it's on most streaming platforms. Um, Her biographer is a man named David Weaver, who's also, I believe, an opera singer. He um, wrote a book about her and he also released a compilation of recordings Um, it, it includes the very first thing you hear is George Gershwin introducing her and her singing. My man's gone now, which I just think is so cool. And then the album also includes her version of summertime, some opera songs, and then spirituals. Like sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And my favorite that I think is especially beautiful is don't you weep when I'm gone. And that is the story of Ruby Elsie from Pontotoc, Mississippi
0: good job Sheena thank you so sad I mean oh, my so guy sad. died young too so I that oh. may be uh, that may be a theme it may be I think it's gonna be a theme it's for the night
1: a theme. oh no <laughs> it's a theme all to, of our
0: celebrities died young oh no to, to be I mean 35 imagine what she would have accomplished yeah. had she lived yeah. a full life
2: I know it just kills me I'm like oh I wish God, we could have seen her I- I know Haida's beautiful yeah yeah and so I just I mean her voice is absolutely angelic and and as I said I mean you can find her on Spotify
0: pretty well anywhere it's it's just she's incredible so all right Lu-hoo. his grave is the second most visited in Arlington National Cemetery and he oh. was the most Sheena was so <laughs> I thought I knew yes. he was, was so excited,
1: excited. yeah now excited. i don't know arlington
0: arlington yes she and was he was
1: the flailing kermit it was she, great. Was, she was she so was so
0: excited uh he was the most decorated american combat soldier to come out of world war ii oh. in fact yeah know he received every military combat award for valor a person can get from the army but military veteran is only one of the many hats he wore throughout his life. Okay. He also became one of the most popular actors of the time, wrote and published poetry, and country music. What? He also, yeah, he also bred racehorses on two different ranches. I'm thinking of like ten different people.
1: I have no idea. I'm talking
0: know. about Audie Motherfucking Murphy. I
1: i thought for a minute i was like it's
2: audie murphy. it's audie murphy and then i'm like no okay. no no when you say country music that threw me yeah i'm not
1: that audie Murphy country so i had no idea so ooh, yeah i'm yes. excited go on yes.
0: yes so there are some discrepancies among historians and websites across the internet as to the year of his birth some list his date of birth as june 20th 1924 and others it as june 20th 1925 but putting the context clues together it's probably more likely that he was born in 1925, and I'll get to that in just a minute. He was the seventh of 12 children Jesus. born, <laughs> yes, born to Texas sharecroppers, and his father deserted the family when Audie was young. This abandonment led to him dropping out of school in the fifth grade so that he could get a job picking cotton to support his family. Oh, man. Yeah. His mother died from a combination of endocarditis and pneumonia when he was just 16. Yeah. And although he remained stoic about the loss, he would later recall the impact her death had on him. He said, quote, we didn't discuss our feelings, but when she passed away, she took something of me with her. It seems I've been searching for it ever since. Oh gosh. Yes. So After the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941, Audi made his first attempt to join the military. He was turned down by the army, Navy, and Marine Corps for not only being underage, but underweight as well. Now I've put it in here somewhere else, but I could not find the the best place to insert this. So I'm just going to do it now. He was only five foot five. So he was a very, very small man we love well, that's, that's not that small. That's like my height. I don't think that's that short. It's not, but when you consider, you know, For manly man. men, For true. Man, I, I will have to say though, as you were explaining this, describing this, I was immediately
2: thinking of, um, Captain America and uh-huh. how when he's so tiny and then mm-hmm. they put him in the machine and then he's, mm-hmm. he's got the Hulk and boobs going. Yes. And- <laughs> yes. Anyway.
0: <laughs> I like just- to think Aldi Murphy might've done that. Exactly. That's what he probably would have. Um, <laughs> So following that rejection, he had his sister sign an affidavit that falsified his birth year so that he could enlist. So on June 30th, 1942, just 10 days after his 17th birthday, Audie Murphy was accepted into the U.S. Army. He would be shipped out to fight in February of the following year. He is most remembered for two major events during the war, both of these took place before he was 20. Oh, God. <laughs> this, yes. this, I mean, it just blows my mind. So the first incident happened in August of 1944. His platoon was under attack by German soldiers and Murphy secured a machine gun that had come loose from his, his group and he returned fire, killing two and injuring one. Two Germans came out of um, a house and it, it appeared as if they were going to surrender. Murphy's best friend, uh, a man named Laddie Tempton was then killed by the soldiers when he went to respond to their surrender. Oh my God. So in response to witnessing her his best friend get shot down Murphy proceeded to bombard the house with gunfire and succeeded in killing six, wounding two and taking eleven Germans hostage or prisoners. So yes. he didn't have to be tall to be effective. No, he was a bad ass. Got to watch um, the short
1: ones. Yes.
0: So now a little bit into the injuries he sustained. Um, he received his first purple heart after injuring his heel in a mortar shell blast in September of
1: 1944. What an injury. <laughs> yeah.
0: In October, he was shot in the hip by a sniper Ooh. while in the process of capturing two other snipers. Wow. This wound developed gangrene, which had to be cut out of his hip muscle. Oh. So yeah, just imagine that. <laughs> That's so gross. So that injury kept him off the battlefield until January of 1945. Okay. So now here, here is just, this is going to blow, blow your minds girls (laughs) on January 24th, 10 days after rejoining his platoon, Murphy and his fellow soldiers were sitting in a cold snowy field under orders to hold a major road until reinforcements could arrive. While they were waiting, 250 German troops and six tanks laid fire to their the exhausted platoon. So Murphy knew that his men's chance of survival by responding to this artillery fire was slim. So he ordered them to withdraw to a nearby tree line where they would be out of range. While they ran for cover, he called in an artillery strike and began returning fire. Um, They were bombarding him with explosives and um, the destroyer that, uh, excuse me, the tank destroyer that he was with caught on fire. So he jumped on top of it because the uh, turret machine gun on top of this tank was still operational. And he began to fire at the approaching German troops while returning this fire he was still on the radio with the artillery commander and they asked him how close the germans were to his location and he replied quote just hold the phone and i'll let you talk to one of the bastards
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love it so he
0: continued to rain down gunfire on the germans even after he was hit by sharp shrapnel in his legs and he only withdrew when he ran out of ammunition. Um, a private named Anthony Abramsky watched from the tree line as Murphy fought off the Germans. He would later write, quote, I expected to see the whole damn tank destroyer blow up under him any minute. It was the greatest display of guts and courage I have ever seen. For an hour, he held off the enemy force single-handed, fighting against impossible odds, end quote. Even after he was safely back with his platoon, Murphy refused to be medically evacuated. He remained with the troop and led them in a counterattack that would drive the Germans back into the, the trees. Um, so this is where I like to say that Audie Murphy lived by Hannah's favorite quote.
1: <laughs> Look around and find out.
0: Exactly. <laughs> he Yes. That is exactly what he just lived his life by. <laughs> I love it. I love so it. following the events of January 24th, 1945, 19 year old Audie Murphy was Jesus. awarded the Medal of Honor, uh, which is the highest honor a serviceman can receive. Wow. Um, 19. 19. I couldn't have done that at 19. No, absolutely not. Uh, he was then reassigned as a liaison officer for the remainder of the war because the army couldn't chance losing him in battle because of how popular he had become. Um, he returned to the United States in June of that year, and he, he was featured in a cover photo of Life magazine, and actor and producer James Cagney um, met him and encouraged him to hit Hollywood and try his hand at acting. Which would, of course, prove to be very good advice. Hell yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure how familiar y- y'all are with what Audie Murphy looked like in our, I'm sure most of I our listeners. He was very handsome. He had he a very was. boyishly handsome, youthful face. Yeah. Uh, He didn't seem to age, so he was a very good-looking man. His film career began with a bit part in 1948, and he would go on to star in more than 40 feature films, including To Hell and Back, the film based on his memoir of the same name. While this was arguably his most successful film of his career, Murphy was also well-known for his roles in westerns, including Night Passage with James Stewart, and the Wild and the Innocent with Sandra D. He was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 1960. And I can't remember what publication it was, but he was named the favorite Western star of 1955. Aww. So he was a war hero. He, star- he also starred in the Red Badge of Courage. So he did uh, shoot several war movies, but he was best known for being a Western actor. So, in addition to his twenty-plus years in film, he was also an accomplished poet and songwriter. He provided the lyrics for fourteen songs, two of which were recorded by Dean Martin and Porter Wagner. Oh, love Porter! Yeah, just a just a side hustle. He wrote a few songs. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm I'm getting a little out of order here, but kind of like with Sheena, it. Some of this stuff doesn't really, I I couldn't get a natural flow. So I'm just throwing it in. So when the Korean war broke out in June of 1950, Murphy was commissioned as a captain in the 36th infantry division of the national guard. Although he wanted to join the fight, his division was never sent to Korea. Uh, Murphy was transferred to the United States army retired reserve in 1969 after reaching the rank of major
1: Good for him.
0: And now we'll get into his personal life and, you know, his life after the war outside of Hollywood, he married actress, Wanda Hendricks in 1949, but the marriage was short-lived four days after their divorce became final in 1951. He remarried a former airline stewardess named Pamela Archer, So he he did not wait around. No, apparently not. <laughs> she Men was with-
1: from that generation had to have like when my great grandmother died and my great grandpa was on his own we were like we need a babysitter for him like yeah. he can't yeah. function without No nope. male supervision. So <laughs>
0: Uh, but, but he, he and Pamela were married for the rest of his life uh, oh. together. They had two sons, Terry Michael born in 1952 and James Shannon born in 1954. Okay. Um, so life was not all champagne roses and caviar dreams for Audie Murphy. <laughs> you know, it's, it sounds like he was living it, but he suffered from PTSD insomnia yeah. and depression throughout the rest of his life and slept with a loaded gun under his pillow oh man he was yeah. plagued by nightmares that included bouts of severe headaches and vomiting and he was dependent on sleeping pills
1: yeah that doesn't it, surprise me with what right yeah mm-hmm.
0: in the 1960s he locked himself in a hotel room for a week to break his addiction to the sedative placidil And his first wife recalled him being guilt-ridden over the war, this is a hard word to say, war reels of German orphans, and also claimed that he, at one point, held her at gunpoint. So definitely struggled with his mental health after the war and he had a huge body count. So I can only imagine how traumatized he was, especially yeah. considering how young he was when he was experiencing all of this.
2: Yeah. he. Um, did.
0: I didn't realize he had killed so many people to mentioned that. I was like, wow.
1: right, right. I mean, and could you imagine being under siege in a fucking tank? I
0: mean,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. And then losing your best friend right in front of you. Yeah. That war. like, yeah. and
0: it it was, um, I I didn't write this in my notes, but in one of the articles I read, it talked about shooting the movie to hell and back and how traumatizing that was for him to have to relive those experiences. Because I mean, there's a scene that plays out is his friend dying in front of him. And yeah, the actor that played the friend was like, you could tell that he was reliving that moment. And they actually put, the shooting of that scene on hold for two days because they wanted to make sure that he was emotionally ready to t- take on that yeah. trauma that he would obviously have, um, reliving that, um, Adi did speak openly about his experience dealing with PTSD and he made several speeches calling on the United States government to provide more consideration and support to returning veterans suffering from what was then known as battle fatigue or shell shock, and to provide them with better health benefits. Um, Because of this, uh, there was a a new veterans hospital established in 1973 in San Antonio that was named in his honor. Um, So he was very passionate about veterans affairs and health and really fought to get them the care they needed. Um, in his downtime from his busy film career, Murphy bred and raised quarter horses, which then raced uh, at several race, tr- race tracks in California. Uh, he invested large amounts of money in his hobby. So this combined with very poor business decisions on his part would leave him in fi- to financial hardships by the late 1960s. Um, and Although these offers would have helped bring him back to financial stability, Murphy refused to appear in commercials, advertising alcohol and cigarettes, as he did not want to be seen as a bad influence on children. So this, this, they were offering him oodles and oodles of cash to do these commercials. And his response was, what are the kids going to think of Audie Murphy's hawking booze and and cigarettes? Yeah. Yeah, So he would, he would not do it. Um Audie Murphy was tragically killed when the private plane he was on crashed in the Appalachian, Appalachian <laughs> mountains of Virginia on May 28, 1971. The pilot and four other passengers were also killed, and it would take authorities three days to recover the plane and the bodies of the victims. Wow! So I want to say he was he was either 46 or. About to turn forty six, wow. so not not old at all. Wow. Um. Man. Two funeral services were held for Murphy on June fourth, nineteen seventy one. One in Hollywood Hills, California, and the other in his hometown of Farmersville, Texas. He was buried with full military honors in Arlington National Cemetery, where his grave is the second most visited grave after President John F. Kennedy.
1: That's what I was thinking. I was like, right. I know. I See, I was thinking you were going to do Kennedy, and then when you said Army, and Kennedy was Navy, so I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, that's not it. Well,
2: when she said second most visited grave, I thought you were going to talk about James Dean. Mm Mm-hmm. Nope. I figured Elvis might've been number one. And then James Dean might've been second.
0: Yeah. She came yeah. out
1: of left field. I know. Chair. I like it. I know. I like I know.
0: It. <laughs> so, uh, Arlington actually had to put in a flagstone walkway to accommodate the large number of visitors his grave receives each oh, year. Sweet. Um, and this is just even, he was the most humble person I have ever read about, uh, he uh, traditionally if you're a medal of honor recipient your uh, headstones are decorated in gold leaf Um, he did not want to do this before before his death he requested that his uh, headstone be plain just like any other soldier Um, so he does have a a plain headstone and I'll kind of go back to when they were shooting to Helen back the the movie ends with him receiving the Medal of Honor. And the director fought with him tooth and nail for weeks about shooting that scene because he did not want that scene in the movie. He, he yeah. didn't see any point to it. He was embarrassed by it. And the director had to convince him that we're making a movie about the most decorated war hero. You've got to end with him receiving the, the most, right. <laughs> yeah. the, the biggest award he could receive. So he did finally cave and that's how the movie ended um so a statue of murphy was erected in farmersville and in san antonio in 1973 a new hospital was built for veterans in san antonio named the audie l murphy memorial veterans hospital in 1974 a large granite marker was commissioned by the veterans of foreign wars and erected near the plane crash site off the appalachian trail In 1996, the Texas legislature declared his birthday, June 20th, as Audie Murphy Day, and on that same day, he was inducted into the Western Performers Hall of Fame at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum in Oklahoma City. His eldest son, Terry, went on to establish the Audie Murphy Research Foundation, a nonprofit focused on collecting and preserving historical information about Murphy. And this website, y'all, it looks like something out of the late 90s. (laughs) It is so old school, but there's so much stuff on this website. Um, I cannot find any information about if it's still running. There are uh, newsletters on the website. And the last one that you have was published in 2001. And I think that, and including the fact that it is so, so old school web design that, it's just been sitting there, and somebody's paying that renewal for AudieMurphy.com, yeah. but nobody's making updates to the website. But oh. there is so much information there um, that you can go and see pictures, interviews with people, um, interviews with Audie Murphy. It's just a really great resource to learn more about this man. Um, so, you know, I like to end on quotes or <laughs> or epitaphs and things like that. So, I'm going to end this one with a quote about murphy from bill maudlin a world war ii cartoonist and close friend of murphy that i really think sums up the man audie murphy nicely he said quote in him we all recognize the straight raw stuff uncut and fiery as the day it left the still nobody wanted to be in his shoes but nobody wanted to be unlike him either in quote oh. And that's that is a good quote. That is like that, that is the story of Audie Murphy to Helen back just the epitome of badass.
2: Yeah. That's a good that good job, Lori Luu. Thank you. Yeah. Good. I think one time my mom and I that's how I heard about him was I think she was watching a World War 2 movie and she's like, "Oh, it's about Audie Murphy and he was a real soldier." And I was like, "What?" Mm-hmm.
0: And she's like, we, "That's him playing himself." I, I'm I, like, I, "What?" I learned about him in 11th grade um my 11th grade history teacher talked about Audie Murphy but he his claim was that Audie Murphy said no one else could play him but himself oh. and he was not like he uh said you know Tony Curtis could play this role he wasn't yeah. <laughs> really keen on playing himself in the movie. they just they said you gotta do this yeah um, so yeah I that's when I first learned about him and I honestly can't tell you what put the idea to, to share his story um, in my head. I just was Googling, I'm like, what about this guy? Yeah. And then, you know, I love it. cool, yeah. yeah. All right, now let's, let's get dirty. Let's get down in the <laughs> gutters. Ah, ah. Speaking of raw. Yeah, right. gutter right. trolls and.
1: So <laughs> strap in your tits and testicles, my friends, here we go. All right, so Gigi Allen described himself as the last true rock and roller, and the life and death of the controversial punk icon may have proved him right. Gigi entered the world as Jesus Christ Allen in 1956. What? Yep.
2: That's what his parents named
1: him? Oh, we'll get there. Named (laughs) by his mentally unstable and abusive father, Merle Allen Sr.
2: Merle.
0: Merle. merle
1: his father was a religious fanatic who believed his second son was the second coming oh. he got the name gg because his older brother merle jr couldn't pronounce jesus um, <laughs> it, which is very cute it's very very That's cute. precious <laughs> yeah it's very considering precious. the rest of the story it's so fucking cute um, and him and Merle Jr. are basically Irish twins, they're like maybe 17 months apart, they're Ooh. very close in age. Um, so it makes sense he wouldn't have been able to pronounce Jesus. So they called him <laughs> Gigi. which I thought was very cute. And they grew up in a house in the woods of Connecticut with no running water, no electricity, none of that.
2: What was the year again?
1: He was born in 1956, right? Okay, so they should have had these things yes <laughs> his father would often threaten to kill the family and himself and would dig a gra- dig graves for everybody to prove that he was serious
2: so he's going to kill his child that is the second coming yes oh well i guess he thinks he'll be resurrected in three days so i guess it did matter. i
1: mention the mentally unstable part
2: yes yeah
1: merle senior is a dick his mother gigi's mother arletta blessed be her name Got the boys out of the home and moved to Vermont, where she would remarry and rename Jesus Christ to Kevin Michael. (laughs) Oh god. (laughs) Just keep
2: just keep Jesus Christ over (laughs) Kevin.
1: She didn't want him to be picked on in school. Gotta love a Kevin. Yeah, I'm I'm I Arletta Arletta is a, a superstar through this story. So God love her. Though he would, the nickname Gigi would stick throughout his life. To the surprise of no one who knows anything about the long-term effects of childhood trauma, Gigi would spend his childhood with zero respect for authority and no regard for rules. His brother would talk about the bullying Gigi would receive for his nonconformity, including cross-dressing in high school, petty theft, and general mischief you know some light car theft here and there (laughs) we've all been young once (laughs) the british invasion the stones the Beatles, the dave clark five would form the bedrock of Gigi's musical influence and later on alice cooper who has his own place in my family lore my mom biological father aunt and uncle went to an alice cooper concert in the 70s with an igloo drink cooler you know one of the ones that looks like a honeybee thing yeah
0: oh wow (laughs)
1: Full of Everclear.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And
2: they had the best night of their lives and they don't remember a part of it. Nothing else? Just
1: Everclear? Just Everclear. Wow. uh, My biological father was a serious alcoholic. (laughs) My aunt then had a near-death experience in the bathroom and had to be carried out. We learned about this story one Christmas. It was exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So when he, I I understand the Alice Cooper. I was like, oh yeah, no, uh, my family line nearly stopped right there. So (laughs) like many disaffected youths before and after him, Gigi picked up a guitar in his mid-teens and started a band with his little brother or his big brother rather called Little Sisters Date. Okay. Let that that band name settle for a minute because they only get crazier from here. The band covered songs by Aerosmith and Kiss and other popular rock groups of the day. So just a little fun thing. Just something fun. Gigi graduated high school in 1975 and formed a band called Malpractice. Again with his older brother and some high school friends. He played drums until the group disbanded in 1977. From 1977, Gigi fronted a band called The Jabbers until his behavior became too much. Gigi spent the rest of the 80s fronting and drumming for a variety of bands, including <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> get ready. <laughs> All right. The Cedar Street Sluts, <laughs> the scum scumfucks, spelled this is a different spelling. S-C-U-M-F-U-C-S. Okay, so, you know.
0: Okay. Point.
1: Points for originality. And Texas Nazis.
0: Oh, Lord. Did he have to go there?
1: I don't know that he was the one that named the band, but. Well, he, he went along Just- with it.
0: Just I- come on, stick with the scum fucks, man. I know.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm with it. His antics would solidify his place in the underground hardcore scene. It was in the latter part of the 80s that Gigi started his career defining stage move. <laughs> Shit literally literally (laughs) literally shit according to his fellow performer bloody mess (laughs) Gigi had taken some x-lax hours before a show and the effect was well astounding apparently it was room clearingly bad Uh. (laughs) and like any good survivor of childhood trauma he found the negative and attention intoxicating and it remained part of his stage act that's not all Gigi found intoxicating in fact there are very few intoxicating substances Gigi wouldn't give a try on top of being a very serious alcoholic the punk icon also idolized another icon hank williams senior
2: oh no okay listen i love hank but you don't want to look up to him he no he drank himself
0: to death he was a hot mess He
1: connected with the lone itinerant lifestyles of the outlaw country musicians. Allen's, and by the way, Allen is spelled A-L-L-I-N, which I Mm -hmm. find an interesting spelling of the name Allen. So there you go. His acoustic output documented on the EP, The Troubled Troubadour, was heavily influenced by Williams. He recorded his own rewrites of Hank Williams Jr.'s family tradition and David Allen Coe, another favorite of mine's long-haired redneck, Called in his home versions, Scumfuck Tradition and Outlaw Scumfuck. <laughs> so original. It's, just, I love it. Later, Alan re- released another country album, Carnival of Excess, which is actually one of his most refined. And I did, I listened to it a little bit today and I did enjoy it. So, um, you know, now we kind of know where, um, what is that? Orville Peck got his his D's from.
2: I love Orville though.
1: I know. Okay, so we've got some more band names coming up. All right. <laughs> Gigi collaborated with Bulge, the AIDS Brigade, and the Holy Men. But before embarking on some spoken word pieces, because nothing says punk like spoken word, <laughs> ask Henry Rawlings. I don't know yep. what it is about punks and spoken word, but we really love it. And we're going to get a visit from an old podcast friend. And because why not? He also wrote to and visited John Wayne Gacy in prison. Oh, God. God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow! You always always bring it It back to Chicago or Gacy. Gacy
1: will not leave me alone.
0: (laughs) He's haunting you. That's what it is. I'm telling you,
1: his stage show didn't settle down. By this point, Gigi's performances, which often resulted in considerable damage to the venues and the sound equipment, which isn't cheap, were Mm -hmm. regularly stopped by police or venue owners after only a few songs. Alan was charged with assault and battery or indecent exposure a number of times. His constant touring was only stopped by jail time or by long hospital stays for broken bones, blood poisoning, and other physical trauma. Another attraction to Allen's Alan's performances was his continual threats of suicide. Oh. In 1989, he said he would commit suicide on stage on Halloween that year. However, he was in jail when that day came. He continued this threat each following year, but was always in jail on Halloween.
0: Well, in that convenience, someone <laughs> was looking out for him.
1: <laughs> Some higher power. Bulls and drunks. <laughs> When asked why he didn't follow through with his threats, Gigi stated, with Gigi, you don't get what you expect. You get what you deserve. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which I love. That's a great Um, quote. And because it's the nine, it's not the '90s unless a daytime talk show is involved. Alan made an appearance on the Jane Whitney Show in 1993. I had not heard of the Jane Whitney Show. It's have A little bit like a downmarket Ricky Lake, but that's oh. fine. Mm-hmm. We all have our crosses to bear. This <laughs> interview is infamous for being his last interview and for Alan's aggressions toward the audience. He was ready to fight every single one of them. Gigi openly stated that he would commit suicide and take his fans with him. He would also make appearances on other talk show icons like Jerry Springer and (laughs) Geraldo.
0: Ah, Geraldo, what a Uh, douche. For
1: the infants listening, um, Geraldo used to have a fairly middle-of-the-road talk show. Um, He was really big on the Satanic Panic. A lot of that in the 80s and 90s was almost entirely his fault. And one of the mm-hmm. best things to come out of the '90s was him supposedly finding Al Capone's vault on live primetime TV, opening that motherfucker, and there not being a single goddamn thing in it. It was
0: I, And more, more recently, uh, for for posting an Instagram, I'm gagging as I say this. Thirst trap. This, oh yeah, pervy okay. old man with his. Yeah.
2: I will say this. I will say this and this is my one thing
1: okay you get one thing
2: when in the 70s he was hot
1: he was because he hot. had
2: the chest hair he was 70s hot he had the chest hair <laughs> and he and had the mustache. wavy hair and that mustache and all that you... because if you go back and look at when he did that um the mental the proxy, hospital yeah, yeah and all that one. kind of stuff he's he's hot and then i think you see him for like a second in that sons of sam doc yeah, you do. I think, and, and I was like, okay,
1: okay. Saturday mm-hmm. night fever,
2: let's get it. But today, no, 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 today he is
0: disgusting.
1: Also for our babies in the audience, he gave away troop movements during the second Gulf war. He did, did. He really, mm-hmm. he, did.
0: he was kicked out, right?
1: Yep. That's yep. Pretty-
0: okay. Yeah, Just mm-hmm.
1: all up on Fox news telling the Taliban where our fucking people were, it was great.
2: Yeah, he's a Trumpy, isn't he?
1: Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. We'll he is.
0: Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> so many gross celebrities. Come on, on GG. Let's get back right, to GG. Yeah,
2: crazy. let's clean up from from <laughs> Geraldo and go back to GG. How?
1: GG was also, was a self-identified extreme individualist, misanthrope, and anti-authoritarian, promoting lawlessness and violence against police officers in many of his lyrics. Mm. His essay, The Gigi Allen Manifesto, which I have not read, <laughs> but I'm going to because it sounds interesting. What a lot of white dudes got
2: to have a manifesto Every as if they have one. anything to say. Yes.
1: I, well, I mean, his is probably a little bit more interesting than the Unabombers, but, you know, I'm going to give it a go, was intended to summarize his personal philosophy. He revealed on Geraldo, and this I find kind of interesting, so he revealed on Geraldo that he believed his body to be a temple of rock and roll his flesh blood and bodily fluids were a communion to the people which if you're gonna commit to the bit commit to the bit and i have i did i've I've got to give you credit for that that's why another reason um that was given for his on-stage antics by one of his compatriots was that he wanted to draw a parallel between his actions and a society that's going crazy with violence i don't know if he had that kind of higher order thinking but it sounds about right he, he is, all, and this is, oh God, I, I had so many crushes on these boys in high school. He has also, he had also said that if he was not a performer, he would probably be a serial killer, a mass murderer. Look, I had a disturbing <laughs> childhood. Leave me alone. Like, Regard, oh. you, you know that guy. You know oh, that
2: everyone guy. knows that guy. <laughs> and it's like, no, you would never say it. You would just go do it. It's like I a know. lot of things in life. Anyway, know. Yeah. He just, anyway,
1: you know. Gigi walked so that others could run, you know? Um, we won't name names, but y'all and poop on stage. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) There's more. Regarding Gigi's view on death, he believed in some form of an afterlife. He explained his views on death in the film Hated Gigi Allen and the Murder Junkies, which is by Todd Phillips, who's done some really good movies. So um I couldn't find this documentary, I really want to watch it. I think it would be good. And I do, this quote is interesting to me. So it's like, I've got this wild soul that just wants to get out of this life. It's too confined in this life. I think that to take yourself out at your peak, if you could die at your peak, your strongest point, then your soul will be that much stronger in the next existence. I think there's something, and that was the end of the quote, sorry. I think there's something interesting to the idea of my soul is too confined in this life. I think that's, yeah, that's an interesting insight into kind of what's going on. With yeah, him. I give
2: him I give him credit there because I think oh well I don't know that everyone does but I, I know I felt like you're too big for what you
1: right yeah
2: you're too big for your body
1: yeah absolutely which and is I, saying
2: something because I'm massive but still yeah <laughs> no, uh,
1: I'm gonna come up come down there and punch you in the face I don't care okay
2: bring <laughs> it Gigi
1: gonna, you know you want to be punched by me. So, in 1991, Gigi recorded an album entitled Murder Junkies, which I kind of love. (laughs) Alan considered this album to be most accurate to his persona and philosophy on life. I haven't listened to it. I'm going to. um, I kind of got stuck in his country album, which was interesting. (laughs) It was also during this period that he recorded the album War in My Head, I'm Your Enemy. This particular album consists of one 45 minute track that is a collage of spoken word pieces put to music. <laughs> so. Okay. It's. White
2: dude's going to white.
1: It's art <laughs> and I am forced to appreciate it as art. Um <laughs> At the time of his death, he was making plans for another spoken word album. He also mentioned a, and the author of this article said, somewhat unlikely European tour, which is being <laughs> very generous. And apparently he was very enthusiastic about this before his death. Gigi Allen's last show was on June 27th, 1993, at a small club called The Gas Station, a punk venue located inside a former gas station At 194 East Second Street in Manhattan, which is sadly now a Dwayne Reed (laughs) drugstore, that upsets me. You know we have the Blues Trail placards. I feel like there needs to be like the Punk Trail placards. Yeah, yeah. The show ended after three or four songs when a melee broke out.
2: I'm shocked. (laughs) Only
1: fitting. Gigi ended up outside, leading a group of his fans trooping through the neighborhood. After walking the streets for almost an hour, he eventually went to his friend Johnny Puke's apartment. I'm sure Johnny Puke has a real government name. I don't care. I don't want to know it. Johnny I don't want to know it. Johnny
2: also, also, can't you just imagine like going over to his house the hospitality? of right. the home of a man oh. named johnny Pugh. like
1: We're gonna get i bet he sets out the
2: company plates and everything
1: <laughs> well in this case he set out the heroin
2: oh okay same diff same diff
1: <laughs> right i'm sure it was on very nice china yeah I'm sure. <laughs> there he and others continued to party and use drugs Gigi ingested large amounts of heroin overdosed and died sometime in the early morning hours of june 28th It wasn't until later that morning that someone noticed that he still lay motionless in the same place where they left him, that they called for an ambulance. Junkies are not good at noticing if you've OD'd or not. So just keep that in mind. Nope. He was pronounced dead at the scene. He was too much short of his 37th birthday.
2: Gee whiz.
1: Yep. Gigi's funeral took place on July 3rd, 1993 in his native New Hampshire at the St. Rose Cemetery in Littleton. Okay, here we go. At his funeral, his bloated, unpreserved corpse was dressed in his black leather jacket and trademark jockstrap. Alan was buried with a bottle of Jim Bean beside him in his casket, as requested in his self-penned acoustic country ballad, When I Die. <laughs> and you know what? Hey, you know, <laughs> do your thing, hun. i
2: I'm all yeah. for it. Do it
1: friends posed with his corpse placing drugs and whiskey into his mouth yes okay so
0: <laughs> yeah into yeah. an
1: unpreserved corpse's mouth i'm sure that was right. god yeah. It's well, yeah. for everybody as the funeral ended his brother put a pair of headphones on him the headphones were plugged into a portable cassette player kids look it up <laughs> Which was loaded with a copy of Gigi Allen's album *The Suicide Sessions*, which was very sweet. Wow. His brother is still alive and mm-hmm. still making music, and the two loved each other very much, which is, which was nice. Fans would routinely defecate on and otherwise desecrate his tombstone for years after his death. I can see Sheena's appallment. Mm-hmm. Gigi would have loved it.
2: He would have loved it, but like, there's seriously, there's probably <laughs> other people buried nearby. Cemetery
1: <laughs> owners were less thrilled. I bet. And his mama was not a big fan. I bet. So in 2014, his mother and brother moved the stone to the Museum of Death in Los Angeles for an exhibit oh. that also featured that the outfit he was wearing the night of his death, oh, original okay. artwork, letters, and videos of his final performances. The stone remains at the museum, though it is not currently on display. His grave site remains unmarked, though. And fans will leave homemade markers and empty liquor bottles at the site. And if you go on Reddit, they get very snippy that the, the owners of the cemetery will come and, and pick that shit up.
2: Well, um, it's their cemetery. Right, you, you play by I, their I mean, rules.
1: Exactly. And I'm sure the people buried next to Gigi Allen do not enjoy <laughs> No I mean, a bottle of Jim bean next to like, Grandma.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's like Faulkner. Like everyone leaves, you know, some right. Jack for Faulkner. That's fine, but right, poop. That's no Faulkner's <laughs> yeah. place, and I, I
1: yeah. mean, Faulkner's yeah. not in like a public cemetery. He's got his old shit.
0: He's um, in public. Well, they do. Anything. They do the same shit with uh, Willie Willie Morris too. They leave him oh, yeah. booze and yeah. trinkets and stuff. So.
2: But, yeah, Faulkner's in, like, one of the city cemeteries. Oh, I,
1: thought, <sighs> I thought he was by himself. Mm-mm. I w- shows you how much I remember <sighs> about college. So, we're going to end with this interesting quote by Gigi. It's not so much wanting to die, he once said, but controlling that moment, choosing your own way. And in his death, as in his life, Gigi Allen definitely chose his own way.
0: Can I just say
2: I, <laughs> I get that? I get that I do
1: I do and that I get was the that. point where like I said c- c- coming from a traumatized childhood the antics make sense <laughs> they like, really oh, do negative attention watch this shit yeah <laughs> like I get it and then you know the doing things on your own terms and That's, you know, that was yeah that was you know his whole suicide thing that he talked about was choosing was saying yes yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm I'm making this choice um to no one's surprise he was not exactly a boy scout in his uh personal relationships i didn't include that because there's a lot of stuff there i bet um and i just didn't want to get into that uh Mm -hmm. if you look him up and you're thanks gwen um hit me anyway cat
2: butt right behind your head
1: yep just smacking me with her tail yep um you know, you look him up, well, he did this, and he was he was not a good guy in his interpersonal relationships. No, he was at, not. At
2: what point did we say he was a good guy, though? <laughs> exactly.
1: I'm like, he threw beer bottles and covered himself in shit. Yeah. I don't expect this person to be a good person. No. Um, he did do prison time for one of his assaults, um, like 18 months, and um, the psychiatric evaluator said he's bright, very bright person yeah but he had just you know he had addiction problems he had trauma that he had not worked through um so it was you know interesting life he did it his own way and I cannot help but respect that so
2: I feel very conflicted in the fact that I agree with him on some things like um I don't want to be embalmed however I don't want to make a spectacle of it Right. Um, but also that wanting to control how you go out, I get that. And right. like, I've really thought about going into like learning how to become a death doula because yeah. I love that idea of, you know, it's going to happen. And so you sort of create this scene with music and incense or candles or whatever. Right. And, it's, and it's a beautiful way to transition. Like I'm all about that. Not about killing yourself and like, right. you know, it being sort of this chaotic thing that is also controlled right. but yeah I kind of I get some of where he's coming from but yeah,
1: no it absolutely yeah. and I mean like I said with having his friends put whiskey and drugs into his corpse's mouth I'm sure wherever Beyond the veil, he was. He thought that was the greatest fucking thing ever. Oh, he was mm-hmm. laughing.
2: I have and no doubt about that.
1: Fans shit on his grave. I know he loves it. He was yeah. like, thrilled to death about.
2: It. Oh yeah, I thought, I'm so, sure he thought that was awesome. Absolutely. And and like I said, if that's if that's what he wanted in his death, cool. But pick a cemetery that is cool with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yes, I yeah. don't think I want that happening to my great aunt Gertrude, <laughs> right. who is his neighbor in death or whatever I'm go
1: out on a limb here and say there was not much planned about his death no yeah, yeah. he was not doing any pre-need um, no yeah.
2: not at all
1: um but yeah i mean and that's you know when he called himself the last true rock and roller i mean that's punk as fuck it is yeah he mm-hmm. lived fucking punk and you know that was, you know, like with idolizing Hank Williams Senior, who I definitely want to do an episode about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love oh, him. Oh Lord! But it makes sense that that was that was somebody he identified with. A hundred
2: percent. You know,
1: yeah. Iconic. So yeah. Um, if you have a strong stomach, check out his music. I did read some select song titles to the ladies and our producers <laughs> before we recorded. <laughs> Um, if you are of a delicate constitution, maybe pass. <laughs> don't.
0: Maybe, just maybe, don't.
1: Maybe skip that. <laughs> um, and again, I do love the quote: uh, you don't get what you expect, you get what you deserve. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. Like, I. That kind
2: of should go on his tombstone.
1: <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He does, and I'll have pictures, he does have a very nice quote on his tombstone, oh, along okay. with a picture of him where he's not covered in blood and shit. No. Wow! Do you mean that one that that's exists? The, <laughs> and I will say, with him cleaned up, he's not bad looking. Yeah. And mm-hmm. this is my my frailties as a human is the dark boy who sat at the back of the class and like drew skulls in his notebook. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs>
2: We I, all have our weaknesses. Yes, <laughs> yes. You
1: fix you. I'll make you so happy. No, oh, uh-uh. That was like no fixing on the TikTok, on the TikTok cuz I'm 80. Um this, <laughs> it, this guy did like the emo hair and he had the slouchy beanie and we know the look. Mm-hmm. There was girls in the comments be like four of these boys broke my heart in middle school. Yep. <laughs> yes, yes.
2: Yep. Yes. <laughs>
1: So I did not have an exact Gigi Allen. I did have Brent, who we won't talk about. He does amateur <laughs> MMA wrestling now. Oh, bless his heart. Oh, so Brent. Tell you in the ninth grade, I was going to fix him. <laughs> so I will say
2: G. I went through Allen. several phases. of oh, I'm yeah. going to fix yes. this one, no, you cannot. Oh well and it's well, not your place to do it either
1: are you yeah. a dirty traumatized bastard come here baby <laughs>
2: <laughs> now <laughs> i'm of the i'm of the um what is it okay mcduff i'm what of the opinion that like <laughs> um i'm of the opinion like you know what boo go fix yourself exactly. <laughs> i ain't you mama you yes
1: mom. I'll give you a therapist number, even though that reminds me of Good For You. I guess that therapist I found for you really helped. <laughs> it was <just> like, oh, <laughs> girl. Girl, you were talking to somebody specific. <laughs> so, All right, Mr. Rodrigo, <laughs> go off. Yep. So that is Gigi Allen, icon of the hardcore punk scene. Yep. I don't see enough about him in the world, and, and he he brought his own flavor to it. And uh, are- I think we know what that flavor <laughs> was. <laughs> Shit. Yep. Um, we will. There are some really great YouTube clips of him on the Jane Whitney show and on uh, Geraldo. So we will be posting those because it is just peak <laughs> early 90s talk show <laughs> madness. And I love
0: yes. It. Here for it. All
2: right. So join us next time for paranormal stories. Um, yes, I was just thinking I'm going to record that in the dark with a candle. Yeah. So we'll get scared. I'm excited. Yes. <laughs> so Lori, where can people find yes, us?
0: Yes, You can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at cemetery row pod, or you can send us an email to cemetery row pod at gmail.com yes um be sure to check out the music
2: of revenge body who did our theme song and i think that's it we'll see you next week where we hopefully will spook the pants off of you
0: yes Yes. bye y'all bye